our uh, next speaker, um, and we'll be interviewing him. Uh, and we're very pleased to have uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg. He's the medical director of the emergency department at St. Joseph's mm -hmm. Hospital, is that correct? In uh, Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, you might have seen uh, Mark's piece in the New York Times earlier this year about his opioid-free ED. Uh, he's a visionary, a thought leader in our field. Uh, and uh, we're just thrilled to have you here. So I look forward to kind of sitting down with you and with uh, Don and, and talking and so talking some of the uh, practical bits. You wet you mic'd up? I think so. Right, I am. Right on. Right on. Thank you. So Great conference. I'll tell you. This is phenomenal. I learned so much. It's amazing. You know, I lectured uh, 25 times this year, maybe more on opioids. And never, ever have I seen a program with such diversity in comments. And uh, hats off to you guys. This is phenomenal. Just great job. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it, it's a privilege to speak with you. So, I'm, I, and I'm a medical director myself, so I'm, I'm full of operational sort of how do you get it done, how do you get the work done uh, kind of questions. But I'd love to hear just sort of if you could sort of set the stage for us, what, what does it mean, this term, an opioid-free ED, uh, and how did you come to it? Um, it it's uh, somewhat of a long story, but I think it's worth listening to. Um, many of you may or may not know, but my passion in emergency medicine has always been palliative care in the emergency department. Um, I myself looked into hospice at one time, and. Long story, and I don't want to go there, but the point is, is um, I started treating a lot of patients for uh, pain, uh, malignant pain. And what I realized is the emergency department did a very poor job in managing pain. But at that time, I was looking at improving our, our delivery of opioids and the management of cancer pain. As the opioid epidemic became bigger, we decided to develop a fellowship program on acute pain. Um, we, it was not an ACGME approved program, but we went through New York Medical College, put together a one-year program that really dealt with a lot of the different um, aspects of pain, including um, nerve blocks, regional anesthesia, um, different ways of treating pain, looking at enzymes uh, and blocking enzymes. and. Uh, how can you, what's the scientific evidence to best improve pain? Um, that developed our, um, our pain program. But the idea was, since there's so much out there with opioids, how can we challenge ourselves to become an opioid-free emergency department? Now we're a trauma center, uh, and my staff started laughing at me that when that car, that rollover comes in with a fractured pelvis, and open fractured femur, you mean you're going to give gabapentin to them? And, and clearly, that's not what this is all about. We are not opioid-free, uh, but we look at using opioid alternatives, alternatives to opioids, every chance we can, uh, and use, as you said, Don, use opioids as our rescue medication rather than using them as our primary. Yeah. Yeah. Did, were you, I mean, I, it's funny, I, I, this piece was done in the, news the other day and uh, Don sent me that still shot the next morning and I just it was a just like a oh, moment like that's not you know kind of what we talked about at all and it just felt like a 
just the news piece had been completely missed in some sense. On the other hand, it was a nice piece, and we were all press is good press, right? But, but okay. uh, I think. But uh, but uh, at the same time, um, w w did you advertise it? Did you? <laughs> how did you roll it out? Well, um, we rolled it out. We decided to have a ribbon cutting, so to speak. We started January 4th, uh, first Monday in January after New Year's. And uh, we tried it to see how it would work. We had already spent a year training our residents how to use regional anesthesia, uh, lecturing to our attendings, and really building this up. Uh, so January 4th it opened, and we had some track records. In the first 90 days, we had over 300 patients that were treated with the Alto protocols uh, who did not receive opioids when normally we would have prescribed opioids. Um, so we had our press conference, was really meant to be internal to our staff, and the date we picked was March 28th, the same day that President Obama was giving his speech on the Hill about opioids. Um, what happened is uh, Senator, uh, some of the senators, um, Menendez, uh, Booker, uh, some of the representatives heard that we were having this press conference. They were not invited to the subcommittee meeting on Capitol Hill, so they all came to St. Joe's. Uh, we had, the whole room was filled with press, and before we knew it, we were on front pages across the country. Uh, so I think the real key is, is if you're going to start any program, look at the president's agenda, schedule your opening of the program when the president <laughs> is, and you got it done. We did not advertise at all. We didn't have to. Pick your parents very carefully. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so let me ask, you know, how did opioids become a passion for you? Because I know you have a little bit of a, of a personal background, but, you know, just what made this epidemic, what was the changing point that made you and your department say, we've got to change how we're doing business? You know, um, actually, Don, you know a lot of my stories and you've heard them, but there's one that you haven't heard, and um, let me not answer your question, it sounds very politically correct, right? Rather than answer your question, let me give you, but uh, I, th this weekend I was on a recovery walk, this is recovery month, uh, and we work with an organization called Eva's Village, and this is uh, the organization that does our peer-to-peer -peer counseling and our detox, and we can talk more about that, uh, but, uh, or let me get built up to that. If we have a patient in the emergency department, we rescue them with naloxone, uh, we bring in a peer-to-peer -peer counselor and we try to get them right into detox. So Eva's Village is that uh, center. And I went to this recovery walk. And as I'm walking through this crowd of people, I didn't know where the addicts were. And I'm saying this somewhat kiddingly because the group of people who were on the recovery walk all were normal people who were living their life in our community. Um, and they look like everybody else. And uh, they're... This, this is a normal problem in our society. My CEO believes that 30% of our workforce in, my emer in our hospital has some type of addiction or dependency. Now, I'm not sure that that's right or wrong, but to even start thinking of those numbers is, wow. is tremendous. Yeah. So as I'm there, I, this guy comes up to me who I recognize but I can't place, and his name's Michael, and he comes up to me and he says, Doc, I, I want to thank you. You saved my life on Thursday night. I came in uh, and I did too much heroin and, and you gave me naloxone, but you got me into a recovery program. Uh, 
And uh, this is my second day in the recovery program, and I'm here doing this walk. And this is absolutely amazing. So I wanted to know, I said, when did you start doing opioids? Where did this happen? He said, well, four years ago, I came into the emergency department with a shoulder injury, and you prescribed me Percocet. And that was the first time I had taken that medication. And I'll tell you something, uh, I wanted more. I went to my doctor's office, and he gave me 100. I gave him probably three days' worth. Uh, he gave me 100. And before I knew it, I really needed the medication. I needed it. And he tells the story about how um, when he couldn't get it anymore, he would go back to the emergency department. We said, no, we're not giving it to you. So he started buying it on the street. And many of you know these types of stories. Yeah. And uh, eventually he was buying heroin on the street. Um, Patterson, uh, where St. Joe's is, is well known for some of the best consistent quality heroin around and uh, so he started using heroin and I, I have a dozen stories but seeing Michael and realizing that I was the problem uh, just made me realize that what we're doing at St. Joe's and what you're doing here in this conference is so important uh, because you, you know if we don't give the first dose of opioids nobody's going to get addicted uh, it, it's that first dose that leads to the next and the next and, you know, I, if I would ask everybody here, um, how many of you want to be addicted to opioids? I, I would hope I don't see any. Let's, let's try it. How many of you want to be addicted to opioids? Um, maybe you didn't hear the question. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the point is, is nobody goes into this wanting to be addicted to opioids, yet it's a huge problem in our population. And, and you know, we, we talk about the numbers, and I don't think the numbers are fully estimating the number of people who have dependencies and use opioids on a regular basis. So, uh, can I ask you some operational questions? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I had some great feedback. You know, we we've rolled out a kind of a comprehensive uh, non-opioid order set that's been loved, beautifully organized by our pharmacy colleagues, and is is kind of based on the work that you guys have done and and and, and other colleagues, um, and. I've had some concerns raised about, uh, you know, some of it's fairly physician in labor intensive, at least up front, things like regional anesthesia, nerve blocks, and things like that, and some general concerns about um, sort of PRN orders. Uh, it, would you speak to that? Do you, do you find that, you, have you had issues in the ner that nurses are troubled because they don't have access to kind of a, this, it's so easy for us to write like Dilaudid plus one or something or give another verbal order. Or, do you see problems like that? Well, you know, I think, yes, of course. And implementing a new program is very problematic. Let, 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 let's go back to the beginning. Um, and when we talked about the fifth vital sign and we talked about other aspects of managing pain, uh, we had our medical bag or our toolbox that had our drugs in there that we would use to treat pain. And in there we had some Tylenol, we had some NSAIDs, and we had opioids, and really not much more in, in between. Right. Uh, so if you really wanted to treat pain and you wanted to get somebody down to a zero pain score or one, whatever your scale is, uh, opioids was an easy choice. And of course, uh, Purdue Pharmaceutical says they're not addictive, so you can give them out uh, lip, right. and, 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 and so the goal of developing a new program was to put more tools in the toolbox. Right. 
uh, to add more drugs there. So the lidocaine uh, for kidney stones and um, uh, trigger point injections and regional anesthesia and all these different pieces, um, nitrous oxide, ketamine, uh, all were put in there. But then the problem was is now you have to train the staff. You have to get the nurses up to speed. What do they have to look for for reactions and side effects? And do you need monitors? Don't you need monitors? And all these things were very, very tedious. And some people would actually say, well, just, just give them some Dilaudid. Mm -hmm. and, but that was not our goal. What had happened over a period of time that was much quicker than I thought is we had a whole culture change. All of a sudden, physicians were looking for alternatives rather than just giving opioids. Nurses were saying, no, I don't want to give them to Lauded. We did not try trigger point injection yet. And before I knew it, I had a whole team of people working yeah. together to decrease opioids. Yeah. Uh, and so some of those orders that were onerous in the beginning became just part of our normal way of doing things. I, I, I have to tell a story, if I could, about my colleague who has a hospital just to further little further north in New Jersey than mine. And he calls me up one day, he says, Rosenberg, what the hell are you doing? All the drug seekers are now coming to my emergency department. They refuse to go to St. Joe's. So um, maybe that's, a, that's a, uh, an unintended uh, right. benefit of the program. Right. Right. But I've had a huge number of um, moms who bring in their kids from sports-related injuries who come to my emergency department outside of their typical catchment area to come to my emergency department because they know their kids aren't going to get opioids. Yeah. Uh, and it's that first dose they're worried about. Uh, and we'll give a little nitrous oxide, we'll maybe give a little bit of ketamine, and, and the child will have perfect pain relief, mom will be happy, and at the end of the day, we didn't have to use opioids. Um, we have a lot of uh, heroin addicts and, and people who were dependent on opioids who are now coming to my emergency department because they don't want opioids, they don't want that first yeah. dose. And, and we had this whole change in culture, uh, but this whole change in population, and uh, it has worked amazingly well for, for us. And Dylan, I wanna, I wanna actually get a shot at your question too. Yeah. Is your question of, well, why don't we just give another dose of Dilaudid, is the symptom of an addict. It's an addicted physician. Uh -huh. We've all been practicing that way for yes. way too long, yes. yeah. right? Yeah. Right. We're addicts. Oh, you're in pain. Well, there's an easy thing I can do. It takes one click in a computer system, and you can get your your basically IV equivalent to heroin. We need to stop that, and that's yeah. where this is really. And I credit so much the work that you've done because it opens people's eyes that we can break our own addiction. We can offer people alternatives. You know. So so hats off to you. People well, are hungry for it. I mean, I, 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 you, you know, I, I think you've been running like a rear guard action in our emergency department where <laughs> you, you, quietly on the night shifts, Don does a lot of nights, uh, the culture has already changed. And I look out at our, you know, the at people nodding their heads in the audience who work, who work you know, uh, our staff are, are hungry for this change. And I think it's evidenced by the number of nursing colleagues that we have, you know, from our shop here. Um, yeah, definitely people are ready for it. It's funny, I, I, we did that video the other day with the news, and then, you know, people are like fanatic Broncos fans here. It's like crazy. <laughs> You're kidding me. Oh, you, can, do, you, do you believe that? I yeah. can't believe it. So, uh, Giants or Jets? Well, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, so it's a oh. long story, so it has to be the Jets. It can't <laughs> be the Giants. Okay. Or Wentz, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, 
you know, um, so, uh, sorry, I got all distracted by this <laughs> for a second. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, I want to I continue this football theme. Yeah, so. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, we, we ran that, and then the next day was a Broncos game, and we had just a super slow day in the ER. And I had a, we had posted on the face, we had posted the video on Facebook, and I had, unironically, now two people come in and ask me, aren't you worried about volume? You know, from, so your point about the, the, the addicts going elsewhere. But did you worry? I mean, did you have pushback from your uh, hospital administrators? Were they worried about a practice changer like this, that it would somehow adversely affect ED volume? Assuming you want ED volume. We're, we're, we sort of want ED volume. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, 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 you know, I think, let me tell you a little bit about St. Joe's. Um, we're a busy shop. Yeah. Uh, we're downtown uh, Patterson, New Jersey, uh, which is remarkably the second most densely populated city in the country. I know that's true because I was at the Mets game and it came up on the big board and it said, what's the second most densely populated? And the answer was Patterson. <laughs> so it had to be true if it's at the Mets game. Um, but um, we see, this year we'll see about 175,000 visits. So we're very, very busy in one site. Um, and um, for us, the patients will come no matter what the situation was. To, uh -huh. to have a decrease in volume was not our fear. Uh, what we did not expect is an increase in volume uh, for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, so this was a real positive um, change for us. We did not have any pushback. I've been very fortunate. I've had a um, track record with my CEO where, um, believe it or not, he trusts me. I know that's hard to believe from emergency, but uh, we started some interesting programs. We started a geriatric emergency department that became uh, a real big deal when it was the first one in the country. Uh, palliative medicine in the emergency department, that's called uh, LSMA, Life-Sustaining Management Alternatives, the opioid program. Um, and we, we're starting something new. This is off topic, but I have to tell you, uh, I do population health. Um, and opioid management is a population health initiative. It's taking a population of people who have uh, addiction or dependency on opioids and helping manage that by doing medical assisted detox and, and actually preventing uh, people from going onto opioids. Uh, but with 170,000 visits a year, I have over 300,000 people who come into my emergency department waiting area every year. Um, either it's a patient bringing in a family member or, or a friend uh, bringing them in. Uh, so usually somebody, co somebody comes with them what an opportunity to give uh, information about pain, pain management, mm -hmm. uh, opioids to 300,000 people a year who are presenting through my emergency department. There is no community outreach program that touches so many people. And if you think about all your emergency departments, uh, the number of people who walk through your door, not just the patients you see, or is your opportunity to really make a difference in the population. Weird. It's like doctor meets teacher or something. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't so, say everybody's going to agree with this. It's just an opportunity. No. And when, you know, you're, you're obviously a visionary when it comes to implementing programs. You were the first, one of the first people who brought pilot of care to the emergency department. One of the first people to bring this revolutionary pain management system. Let me ask you, you know, for the future of pain management in the emergency department, what do we have to fight for? What are the battles that we still need to wage right now in our EDs, 
with our legislators, et cetera. What can each one of us kind of out there do to kind of advance, advance this and solve this epidemic? You know, there's um, probably three main areas. Um, you know, one is, um, you know, I think the easiest one to look at is the number of patients who come to our emergency departments who do not have access to detox, uh, who will leave our emergency department and try to stay normal by shooting up again. And it's a real opportunity for us to start, uh, this is very controversial, uh, to start medical-assisted treatment and detox in the emergency department so that we can have a warm handoff um, to a provider who can continue that. I know there's lots of problems, but with 5,000 emergency departments across the country, uh, if we would all get on board with one common initiative, I think we can make a real big difference. The problem is, is it takes some legislation. It's a big deal uh, to start making changes uh, in our practice patterns. Uh, I'm on the board of the American College of Emergency Physicians, and every year issues come up on the floor of council, which is our governing body. And there's a lot of people who don't like the naloxone uh, idea that we're going to co-prescribe. Yeah. Uh, they don't like uh, uh, giving Spoxone and Buf and those things. Um, so I think that's one of the big issues. I think we have silos uh, in, in the hospital. Uh, anesthesia wants to own certain parts of, of pain management. Uh, and yet, at the same time, nitrous oxide is a wonderful adjunct in the emergency department. Uh, but many hospitals I've spoken to, anesthesia wants to battle with it. So, Don, you asked about legislation, but this is internal legislation, managing with our, with our hospital colleagues. Um, many hospitals are very much against the use of ketamine uh, as an adjunct. And ketamine, I'll tell you, somebody comes in, in triage, they have an obvious deformity and a fracture. They get intranasal ketamine and triage, and before I know it, their pain's really starting to become uh, managed, and we can bring them back, and we met all the guidelines that we're supposed to have to manage their pain, and it's just an amazing effort. But we have to block down the silos. We have to come up with one common goal, and the goal is to better manage the pain of our patients in a less addictive, you know, look, we don't have no problems giving opioids. Nobody gives us a hard time, but they give us a hard time using alternatives. So if we can use a safer, non-addictive tool uh, to manage the pain, I think we can all do a better job. What do you, another practical question that I hear voiced commonly, um, what do you do at discharge? So someone has a forearm fracture, has gotten ketamine, has a kidney stone, has gotten IV lidocaine, Toradol, what are your dis how do your discharge strategies change? District home meds. Well, we still use opioids. Yeah. And, and we don't want to demonize opioids. They are tremendously marvelous drugs right. that require a tremendous amount of respect right. and the correct dosing and the correct take-back programs and everything we talked about today. And, uh, you know, I, I, but, and patients will go home with meds, but it'll go home differently. Uh, if I want to give them some Oxy or some Percocet to go home with, it will be a prescription for a very small number of pills. And the answer is, do not fill this. I do not want you to take it. I believe that the medication regimen that we're giving you is all that you need. If you want to fill this, stop and still don't fill it. Wait and see how you are the next day. You know, we, in cancer pain, we want to get ahead of pain. We never want the pain 
to become a point where it takes so much drug to overcome it. But in acute pain management, it's not that at all. In acute pain management, it's taking your medications. Now remember, the medications we're talking about are um, very specific. They're, they're not alternatives because we'll give you a Tylenol instead of giving you Percocet. We're using drugs. Powerful to, drugs. Uh, yeah. yeah, we use well, powerful drugs. Yeah. But you know, the point is, is we want to block enzymes. We want to block receptors. So let me just give you an example. And you didn't talk about it on the chart, so let me just bring it up now. Um, there are COX inhibitors, um, COX-1, 2, and 3 inhibitors. They're all completely different. So when you combine them together, you get a much more powerful drug. A COX-1 inhibitor is Motrin. A COX-2 inhibitor is Celebrex. And a COX-3 inhibitor is IV Tylenol. You give all three of those together, and you have something that's equivalent to 15 milligrams of morphine. And this is something you can send patients home with. They can continue oral Tylenol after the bolus, and they have an amazingly powerful drug mm -hmm. um, that now just happens to be three different tablets. So my point is, is there is a much smarter way to manage all these different uh, pain. I'm not sure I answered your question. No, you jumped did. on the no, soapbox. No, no, no. That's very good. You did answer your question. Great. You just blew my mind over here. Yeah. Oh. You know, just some Tylenol, some. <laughs> some uh, some Motrin and some of that, and it's 15, 15 milligrams of morphine. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the dangers is we don't know what we don't know, right? And in terms of education about about how to control pain, we've been taught for my whole career, and I'm a relatively new doc, that there's one basically pain center, and that's a mu receptor, and there's <laughs> one thing that works on a mu receptor, and that's an opioid. Right. And the more I've learned about it, the more I've figured out that that's just friggin' crazy, you know? And, uh, and you know, people like, like you who champion these different, these different ways to treat pain, who bring science back into the fold, who say, guys, we, we don't have to ope everyone out, you know? We can do something different. Really, it's, it's transformative medicine for our patients and for our practices. Did you develop uh, pediatric-specific protocols? You know, with pediatrics, um, our best claim to fame has been the regional anesthesia and nitrous oxide. That has really, uh, many of these protocols you can use in children, uh, but you really don't need to. Uh, kids are much more resilient uh, than adults, and kids have one big benefit. You know, we didn't talk about non-farm therapy, so much more we can talk about, yeah. uh, but one of the big let me get back to kids. Let me tell you a different story, and then we'll fill it in. Now, if you have, don't think I'm crazy yet. This will convince you that I'm absolutely <laughs> nuts. We have a geriatric emergency department, and I brought in a harpist. So this is a symphony harp player who now carries around a harp, and she plays that. And when we have a patient with pain, acute pain, we bring the harpist in. And the Q-Pain, when we look at the pain scale, goes from an 8 to a 3 with just playing the harp alone. And the reason is, is so much pain is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you can relieve the anxiety with non-pharmacologic therapy. And with kids, going back to that, all they need is a hug from mom. And it relieves all the anxiety and the kid feels better. 
no matter how badly broken their arm is. Now, of course, the fact that we just gave them a regional nerve block and, uh, and, and a little helps. bit of nitrous yeah. helps a little bit. But, yeah. but the point is, is that mom is the best non-pharmacologic therapy. Uh, we know that, right? For, I mean, we've, we know forever, like, you know the situation where the kid's going to get emergence phenomenon from ketamine. Yep. And yep. you know right away with the interaction with the parents in the room, it seems highly, highly predictive. Now, can I put on my advanced directive that it, for me, it's not the harp, it's maybe the cello or the violin? Well, let me tell you about the harp. So if you came, so patient comes in, diabetic coma, insulin, uh, glucose zero, you give them some glucose, but the harpist comes to the bedside. So now they wake up and the first thing they see is the harpist, <laughs> right? I mean, so, so it's, a, it's a kind of an out-of-body experience. You've got to get the lighting just that's right. right. <laughs> that's that's right. It's, it's a totally powerful moment. I can see that. I love it. Yeah, and I, I've heard that study before, too. Kiss, from, kiss on boo-boo from mom is like 30 equivalents of morphine. Morphine, right. Yeah. Are there other, do you do other, what we would sort of refer to as alternative medicine? Do you do acupuncture or other things in the ED? You know, we're, um, we're starting acupuncture, but not in the ED. Well, here's, here's our thought. Um, we have a lot of people with acute pain, and if I had an acupuncturist come in on Monday mornings or Thursday mornings, pick your poison, uh, and really could see those patients in the back of the emergency department, not every unit is open in my emergency department at, at 7 a.m., and the acupuncturist can be there to follow up on my pain patients. Uh, so I believe we can do that. We have not started it yet. Um, we do, you know, we all do other alternative therapies, if you think about it. You know, with back pain, you use hot packs, possibly, uh, or cold packs, or whatever's right. I always get that confused. But uh, the point is, is that we, in reality, we, we constantly do something that's, um, non-pharmacologic uh, and, and it, on, on, on many different realms. And uh, so I think uh, we, we tried aromatherapy. Oh, that, what a nightmare that was. So, uh, so I had uh, the aromatherapist come in and she was young and she was very, very pretty and very, very excited. And she gave little uh, nebulizers to patients who wanted aromatherapy. And the whole emergency department smelled like lavender. And I had more complaints that day. I'm allergic to lavender. I can't stand the smell. <laughs> we stopped it right away. So that was one of our failures. Uh, don't, you can try it. Let me know how it works. We, we, we had a housekeeper who, who's an unbelievable cook. And he's marketed this phenomenal um, hot sauce spice. And he would come in on some nights in the middle of the night and like barbecue chicken in the back of like the ambulance bay. And the whole ER would fill with like this heady aroma of like... Uh, this like barbecue chicken odor. Uh, see, I thought you were, were going to say, cool. yeah. you know how the tens units work, and it's kind of if it causes more pain somewhere else, it takes away your pain. I thought he was going to give you hot sauce so that it it's hurt so much the pain went yeah. away. Are you, okay. There's, a, there's using, a Cox capsaicin yeah. thing. Are you right? guys yeah. using a lot of capsaicin? That yeah. was one of the questions. I didn't see that on your protocol. I have not used yeah. it, but yeah. but but you know what? I think if we put effort into research for non-opioid pain relief in the acute setting. I believe we're going to come up with a lot of different approaches that are as good as lidocaine and kidney stones. Uh, I mean, these where we can get complete and better pain relief by using something totally non-addictive. And if we set up the protocols and we put the medications or the alternatives in the Pixis or whatever we're using, uh, we make it, you know, we have to make it 
easier to do the right thing. Uh, right now, it's, in most emergency departments, it's easier to give opioids. Um, we have to make it easier to give the right thing. And, yeah. and let, let me say this, if not us, then who? Who's going to help stop the opioid epidemic? Emergency medicine has been the leader over and over again in different advances in care. And when it really comes down to opioids, we can make such a big difference. We're a huge force. And, and you know, when we, when we look at it, we, we're a small number of the pill count, uh, total pill count that's prescribed, but we are a huge number of the first prescriptions. Yeah. And uh, if we can eliminate that, I really think we make a difference. And, uh, and as I said, if not us, then who? I guess my last question for you well, would be, um, did, did you need to do or did you do much work with the other uh, services in the hospital? Oh, you mentioned the yeah. trauma service. Your hospitalists, for example, d does it carry on in, in upstairs? You know, we, we, we are running right now a 40, 40 to 50% reduction of opioid use in the emergency department. And amazingly, now we just put 50%, yeah. Wow. Prescriptions or? And 50% and of prescriptions, decrease in prescriptions, total prescriptions, wow. not pill count. Uh, pill count probably is equally reflective in that. Um, but we had to do this with the services that we send people to. Um, we don't send many people to our pain uh, program because of insurance issues. They want, they want money. They don't take care of our indigent population. But we do, we went back to the clinics. So all of our clinics now are using Alto protocols. Mm. Went back to family medicine, uh, the hospitalists as well. So in-house we're trying, we're using it. And we have a lot of pharmacists in the hospital. So anytime somebody's starting to order post-op, they're starting to order large doses of opioids, regardless of how they're giving them. You have the pharmacist saying, let's try an alternative first. So the culture change has hit the whole hospital. I don't know the numbers of our decrease in opioid use throughout the hospital though. Actually, I have to find that out. Well, thank you so much. You know, uh, just it's a pleasure to honor to speak with you and it's, uh, it's incredibly helpful. Thanks. And useful. 